kids upstairs. He's got them. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good morning. Are you guys ready to break some bread? Get into the word? All right. Let's go ahead and do it. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 is where we're at. I just, just as I'm pulling this, whatever this thing is, this table. It's not exactly a pulpit, it's a table. Um, as I'm pulling it over, it's, it's, it's like the Lord is saying, I'm the Lord who is worthy of it all, and now you get to hear my words. Right? He, he speaks to us um, circumstantially, but he speaks to us, if we could say, authoritatively from his word. Like, if you want to know what God is saying, crack this thing open, feast on some bread, you get his kind of unadulterated words. Uh, that the unadulterated mean kind of it doesn't come through your own uh, impressions or mindset or anything like that. It's unadulterated. It's pure. It's inspired. God-breathed, as Scripture says. So that's what we get to participate in in the next few moments. So Galatians chapter 3 is where we're at. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 5. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5. The Apostle Paul states, he's so uh, forthright, right? <laughs> he's not messing around. Oh, foolish Galatians. And if, if you think about the context, I mentioned this last week, Paul has already mentioned he's confronted Peter. Peter was off on some things, right? He, he was bending the knee to the pressures of racism in the moment. And uh, Paul confronts him. He was, Peter was being foolish, but now he's turning the focus to the Galatians and saying, hey, your, your turn. Now I'm, now I'm confronting you. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's put a spell on you? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Remember, that's Paul's ministry. As Paul went and shared the gospel with them, it just wasn't an intellectual download. They encountered the living Christ, the crucified one. So verse 2, Paul says, Let me then ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, just some sort of cold religious activity, or by hearing with faith? Are you, he says it again, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit of God, are you now being perfected, and the idea is being matured in Christ, by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Do, does he who supplies, I love it, does he who supplies, in other words, he didn't just do it at one point in time, he's doing the work now. The one, does he who is now actively supplying the Spirit to you and working miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Is it happening because you're just kind of following some cold religious activity or because you're trusting in this big Jesus? That's Paul's questioning. Now, 
to do a little review, because remember, we only got so far last week, and I'm only going to get so far today. Um, we'll have more next week, I, I guess, in terms of the thought that Paul is communicating here. But we began last week by posing this question. The question is, why are you here this morning? Remember? Why have you gotten out of bed early, done all the traveling to get here, the running around, making it happen this morning? Why are you here this morning? Because if, if you've come this morning for a simple exchange with Jesus, remember, if you've come this morning as though church is some sort of bargaining table, where you come and, well, I'm here, I did some work to get here, Jesus, now I need a little of your grace to get me through this week. If you're coming for just a bargain, it's the wrong Jesus. If, even as we said, if you treat church as like a grocery store of grace, you're just going in for a few items to kind of like make your life a little bit more uh, what you want it for the week, you know, I want to eat this this week. I want to eat that this week. So I'm going to go to church to get a little bit of grace from the grocery store there. And, and, and so I can feel better about myself. I can get the week as though I want it from Jesus. If that's your Jesus, that's the wrong Jesus. It's the wrong gospel. It's not the biblical Jesus. It's, that kind of Jesus is more to the making of the American mind than to what is actually declared in the eternal words of Scripture. True Jesus, remember, isn't divisible. He can't just be portioned out. He's not an additive, like we said last week, a little extra octane in your tank for the week. Or to maybe use another analogy for us this morning, something a little more fresh. Uh, he's not just the trim to the home renovation of your life. He's not just the trim. He's not a part. He's not a portion. He's not your accent wall to just kind of brighten up your life a little bit. He's not the appliance in your home to just add a little convenience to your life. That ain't the Jesus of the Bible. He's absolutely too comprehensive. He is from the foundation of your life to the very tippy-top shingle of your life. He is everything. He's everything. He's the, he is, if we could say it this way, just to use the analogy, he is every stud. He is every nail, he is every screw, he is every joist, he is the subfloor, he is the main floor. He is every last turn in that trim, he's every pipe, he's every rafter, he's every shingle over your head. He's the appliances, he's the artwork, he's the furnishing, he's that lazy boy you gain a little comfort from. He's the heat in your winter, he's the cool in your summer, he's not just a part, he is everything. He is everything to the home renovation of your life. By nature, he is too comprehensive. He's all-consuming in his glory to be merely a piece or some kind of accessory to your life. He's comprehensive. 
So remember, the gospel, the good news is this, that yes, this big Jesus, he lived for you, he died for you, he was raised again for you, and as the glorious one, as the big Jesus that he is, he demands not merely to be an accessory or a mere piece of trim to your seemingly fixed up life, but he demands all you are. Notice, for all that he is. Remember, that's a great exchange. Is that fair? No. (laughs) Jesus is getting a bad deal. (laughs) Right? I get him, he gets me. Broken down, messed up, twisted, damn. And I get all-glorious Jesus, the one who created heaven and earth who rules over every throne and power, principality and authority. He reigns over it all. He says, Dan, throw yourself on the altar. Come to me. Give all of you to me, and I'll give all of me to you. That's the good news. That's the gospel. We can't portion him out. What is happening in the book of Galatians? is that what the Galatians are doing is they are supplementing now Jesus to that. They've come to faith. They get the gospel. They get the fact that he died for them, that he rose for them, all this kind of stuff. They, but now they're saying, well, Jesus just ain't enough. I've got to add this, and I've got to add this, and I've got to add that. And in particular, they're working with the Old Testament. We've got to go to our, our roots of Judaism. We've got to keep to all these regulations in addition to Jesus. And Paul is saying, what what kind of wagon have you fallen off of? How foolish that is to have now gained the all-comprehensive one, the big Jesus, and now be resorting back to some sort of religious regulation. You got Jesus. Why do you need that extra stuff? Now, for Christians, for us today... We're not necessarily so tempted by the Old Testament law. Oh, yeah, let's go back to that kind of stuff. You know, let's make sure everyone's circumcised and all that. That gets really weird, and that's because we're out of touch with Judaism. We're out of touch with the the importance of those particular things. But, man, are we in touch with a lot of other things. For Christians, we nonetheless have this inevitable drift from being, if you will, all in to Jesus. Why else would Paul have to write this to a church that's come to faith in Jesus? Because we are all susceptible to this drift. We drift away from the big Jesus and think that we can just begin to add things to him as if he wasn't enough. And so we drift. But what scripture is doing here, what Paul is doing here, he's trying to pull us back in. He's pulling us away from that small Jesus, what Paul even says is a demonic Jesus. Who's bewitched you? Who's put a spell on you that now you are so clouded in your mind about Jesus? So scripture, Paul is trying to pull us back in, away from that small Jesus, back to this worthy of it all kind of Christ, back to this spirit-empowered life where it's all of you for all that he is. So last week we saw in particular that what scripture does is it exhorts us to return to the power encounter of your conversion. Do you remember when you came to faith? 
Do you remember, as Paul says to the Galatians, they saw Jesus? Remember, it's not, when we came to faith, it wasn't just this kind of informational download, ABCs of the gospel, now I'm good. No, it came with power. Something of our eyes were open to the reality of who he was. He was big Jesus, able to carry my sin to that cross and nail it, give me relationship with him. Now he's active in me. I sense his spirit. I sense his work in me. I sense this new life, this regenerate life. Paul's saying, don't move on from that. You experience, but go back to that. Go back to that simple faith in that big, amazing Jesus. Don't start to drift, adding things to Jesus as though he's not all comprehensive to life. But now second, what Paul states in verses 3 through 5, he says, return to the empowering presence of your sanctification. Return to the empowering presence of your sanctification. So look at verse 3. We'll explain this point a little bit. Verse 3, he returns to that theme of being foolish. Right? He says, are you so foolish? And let's, let's just recap. A fool who is one who doesn't think before he acts. A fool is impulsive. He doesn't consider the consequence of his actions. So you remember we... We, we noted the passage, Proverbs 26, 11, it states, as a dog returns to his what? Vomit. Vomit. So the fool returns to his folly. A fool is one that makes decisions impulsively, without weighing things, without understanding things, making those decisions, and it upsets life. And Oh, this wasn't good. But what the fool does comes right back around. Let's make that decision again. All right. There it is again. I'm, 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 I'm upsetting life again and again and again. But I'm just staying in that cycle. We all know that, don't we? We know that cycle. We know what it is to feast on vomit. We've been there in our lives. Going back to that substance. Going back to those twisted relationships. Going back to that wrong train of thought. Which only leaves me in this place of depression and anxiety. But there I am. I'm holding on to those things again. I'm going back to those things again. That's what a fool does. And, and Paul is saying, you're foolish, Galatians, that you would somehow now step away from this all-comprehensive big Jesus who has everything. He is everything. And you're resorting now to other things. You're, 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 you're just making him small and supplemental. You're becoming foolish. Now, now to just grasp the flip side of that coin of foolishness is, remember in scripture is wisdom. Wisdom is the, the opposite end of the spectrum. Wisdom realizes that God is a big God. Remember Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. You want to be wise, you better have a big God. Such that in every thought of your life and every activity of your life, you're weighing him into those decisions and to those actions. He's that big. He's that comprehensive. You can't just say, you know what? This piece of my life is for me. He's too all comprehensive. Wisdom brings God into every little facet of my life, into my comforts, into my rest, into my entertainment, into my work, into my parenting. He's in it all. The fear of the Lord, I give him a place of weight and significance to all the very facets of my life. 
I weigh him in on the decisions and actions that take place. Scripture says, now that is wisdom. You make him small and inconsequential, that's foolishness. You give him reign over every aspect of your life, give him weight over every aspect, that's wisdom. That's where wisdom begins. That's where understanding can be found. And by the way, that's where life can find its fullness. You're not returning to your vomit. It may not be what you exactly want in the moment, but it's the way of wisdom, and the way of wisdom leads to life. So we can't just make God some addition to our lives. He must have it all. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So Paul goes from this and sarcastically questions these Christians, right? In verse 3, he says, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected? Oh, my goodness, by the flesh. That's a stunning statement. Paul is saying, you, you once became wise in surrendering all you are to all that Jesus is, but now are you just being made perfect or mature in Christ by the flesh? You started out with the Spirit. You started out in surrender. You started out with the big Jesus worthy of all that you are, but now you're resorting back to your own ways, your own wisdom, your own desires, your own wants. You're resorting back to the flesh. Now, it's really interesting because this may be a pun that Paul is using. Remember, the Galatians right now are, are, are being influenced by these false teachers who are saying that they had to get circumcised right, in order to be a part of God's people. Right? You need Jesus, that's fine if you got Jesus. If he's part of your arsenal, fine, fantastic. But you need to go back to the law and do these extra things. And so what he's actually saying by are you being perfected by the flesh, he's like... A little slice and dice. You think by a little slice and dice you're going to be perfected now. A little, little of this Old Testament regulation that by that you're actually going to be matured in your walk with the Lord. It seems, again, perhaps odd to us that circumcision was such a big ordeal, but it's, again, because we are removed from the significance of it in our day. But what the Galatians were suffering from in that moment is essentially, listen, what every Christian suffers from. If we could say it this way, this is the real corona of the Christian life. This is the illness that truly demands your concern and attention. Not, I'm not trying to make any political statements. Just trying to get you at the significance of what's happening in this statement. This is the, I don't know what, this is the Christianitis of the soul. Where once we begin in the Spirit, where once we begin with seeing this big Jesus by the Spirit, where once he's worthy of it all, where once we can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. Where once we only wanted but to follow the leadings of the Spirit and in His working of purity and holiness in our lives. Well, now we got this. 
We got this. Over time in the Christian life, we get wise in our own eyes. We know how to navigate this thing we call Christianity. We know what to say. We know what to do. But therein, we can become something of that Christian chameleon, can't we? We learn to just kind of blend in with the flow of Christianity. But in so doing, we resort to a fleshly Christianity. It's the emptiness of face value Christianity rather than the substance of heart surrender Christianity. It's a Christianity that is largely then inconsequential. It can't even demand anything of you. The work of the Spirit then is exchanged for the activity of the flesh. The sweet whispers of the Holy Spirit become drowned out by the wants and busy thoughts of the self. The kind convictions of the spirit are silenced with the justifications of our inner lawyer. And the empowering presence of the spirit who seeks to produce love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Well, now he is replaced by therapeutic strategies, self-actualization exercises, and the latest wisdom of the world. So Paul is saying, is Christ so small that we don't have to die to ourselves any longer? Is the spirit so inconsequential, so impotent, so lacking in power that we need to resort back to the old man? Do we need to resort back to who we once were in Adam? Should we, as Paul is questioning, should we peel that unregenerated self off that cross, polish it up a bit, slap some of that religious curb appeal to it to get through the next season of our life? It's similar, uh, this came to mind as I was studying this and being challenged by it. If we are doing Christianity by the flesh. It's like those extreme embalmed bodies. Have you seen those before? Right? They pose the dead as if they are living. They, they dress them up in their normal clothes. They pose the dead either standing up or sitting in their favorite chair, riding their favorite motorcycle. They pose them as if they are living. Is this so different than what Paul is stating here? Resorting back to that which has no true spiritual life. Having begun in the life of the Spirit, have you now resorted to some sort of polished up flesh that is spiritually dead to God? (laughs) This is the Christianitis of the soul. We began in a place of surrender before the Lord, but oh, we just kind of get used to the way of Christianity. We get used to kind of that Christian bubble that we live in. We know what to do, we know what to say, and instead of remaining in this posture of surrender, oh, we become wise in our own eyes, and we return to the flesh. So now our Christianity is but face value. Paul is challenging that. That ain't a big Jesus Christianity. 
That is a Christianity that is driven, moved, and empowered by the flesh. And it is death. It is interesting, maybe as just an aside, that the very words that Paul uses here in that question, have you begun by the Spirit, but are you now being perfected by the flesh, is the same words, begun and perfected, that Paul will use in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 to say, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So if we have begun with God in this process of maturing in Christ-likeness, but now we've resorted to kind of the fleshly way of doing, I don't need the Spirit, I don't need His empowering presence, I kind of know what to do, I know what to say, I know how to navigate through all of this stuff. If, if we've now resorted to this place of flesh, what we are doing is resisting what God intends to complete in us. Does that make sense? You're getting in the way of a big God who's like, I love you so much that I just didn't save you, but now I want to mature you. I just don't want to bring you into relationship with me, but I want to make you like my son, Jesus Christ. I want to kick out all the junk and make you holy and pure. Nothing you can stand on in your own self-righteousness because once again, it wasn't by your flesh that it's accomplished. It's by me working in you, you working with me, that you become one who is Christ-like, holy and blameless. That's the journey of the Christian life. As soon as you resort to your flesh, you've resorted to a different Christianity, a different gospel, a different Jesus altogether. Paul is saying that's a Christianity, a false Christianity that leads to death. Let God finish the work that he has begun in you. And that's what Paul is saying. Let's return to that empowering presence of our sanctification. Let's rest in the Spirit. Let's be one, as it were, with the Spirit, working to see Christ formed in us. Now, one thing, among others, that accelerates this drift or this sickness of the soul. Right? Look at what Paul states in verse 4. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Here's the harsh reality to being dead to the flesh but alive to Christ. You will face tribulation. Well, I became a Christian. Isn't life supposed to get easier when I become a Christian? It isn't like even the inner view of myself supposed to get so much easier now? No, no, no. Your psychological stuff, the battles there, oh yeah, it's, things are going to get harder. Your circumstance, they get harder. Why? Because now you have a real enemy. Satan stands against you. And yes, the remaining flesh, the sin at work within, it's going to rage against, it's going to rage against the work of the Spirit within you. So even... If we would go back to the book of Acts, where Paul initially goes to the region of Galatia. In Acts 13 and 14, where that happens, Paul's initial ministry to the Galatians involved this. Paul and Barnabas are persecuted. They are reviled and cast out of the city of Antioch. Then they go to Iconium, another city in Galatia, right? 
And there they are again, reviled, slandered, challenged, and then threatened with stoning. So they escape those threats, go to another city in Galatia, Lystra, where this time there is no escape. Paul is stoned. He's dragged out of the city and thought to be dead. The next day, Paul is back ministering. And even after that, travels back through each one of those cities in which they faced all this tribulation and persecution. And here's the message they bring to the church of Galatia. Paul states in Acts chapter 14, verse 21, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Suffering is going to be an inevitable experience of the Christian life. And what we know of suffering is that suffering does one or two things. It presses us further into all that Christ is, or it causes us to result to fleshly escapes. One way or the other. It strengthens faith or reveals that there wasn't much faith there in the first place. Right? This is what suffering will do. Will we remain in that suffering, will we remain vulnerable before the Lord or recoil to that fragile fortress that we call the self? Will we embrace our weakness? Will we embrace our cross? Will we embrace our affliction? Or will we resort to those fleshly escapes? This is the tension that suffering inevitably brings to the Christian. And I, I just want to say, I think we are conditioned by our American ways to just always be looking for, as I was mentioning earlier this morning in conversation, we're always looking for that kind of like placid life. The no-wake life. So growing up in Minnesota, we would take our canoes up to the boundary waters, and in the evenings is when the winds would die down. And man, to go out on the lake, sun's going down, it was as if the lake became like liquid glass. So still, so easy, and that was the best time to canoe. You barely had to put your paddle in, and you just right across that. It's that placid kind of existence, that placid experience. I want life to be easy. It's the way our minds have been conditioned in our culture. But here's the point. God himself will allow those waters to be troubled. He will allow those waters to be troubled in order to test your faith, to refine your faith, to reveal your faith for what it truly is. Folks, let's be real. He'll crush you to gain you. I, I hate suffering. I hate pain. I hate disappointment. But it does one or two things. It pushes me closer to Jesus or further away from Jesus. It pushes me to see the bigness and glory, and I got nothing outside of Jesus. It's Jesus or I die. 
It either does that, or okay, Dan's going to shoulder this. Then I have Jesus on the side, you know, hopefully he shows up, but eh, I probably won't. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to shoulder this. I'm going to carry the weight of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strategize this out. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to apply myself to making my life the placid life. And you're missing out on the glory of Christ. You're missing out on the one who says, I want to shoulder that for you. I want to be with you in the valley of the shadow of death, not just one who's kind of up and away from you. No, I want to walk you through it, through the deep floods, through the intense fires. I'm walking with you through that so you will not be consumed. He wants your attention in suffering. And that's why Paul is saying, you trusted in Jesus. Oh, the big Jesus that you trusted in. And now, with all that you suffered, did you suffer in vain? As if that didn't matter? As if you didn't see Christ walking with you through the trials? The one who says, come to me. Come to me. You who are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He doesn't turn off the fire. He doesn't necessarily take the flood away. But he says, come to me and find rest. That's why we refer to him at times as, as the lighthouse in the storm, right? He's the one who gives us that light, that place of security, right? In the midst of utter chaos. He wants to be that for you. He doesn't want you to just trust in how your circumstances go, good, bad. He wants you to trust in him. He doesn't want to tr you to trust in your own wisdom, how to get through that. He wants you to trust in him. So suffering, inevitably, is to lead us in to realizing God is a big, amazing, all-glorious God. That's why scripture again and again will talk about a peace that passes all understanding. It'll talk about uh, a joy inexpressible and filled with glory. In both of those contexts, Philippians and 1 Peter, those are suffering contexts. You're going through the heat of the moment. It's hard. It hurts. There's a joy inexpressible filled with glory that is yours in Christ. There's a peace that passes all understanding that is yours in Christ. Will you lean into your big God or will you make him small and trust in yourself, in the flesh? Paul goes on. Verse 5 then. Paul is once again exhorting Christians not to give up on the big Jesus, but to cling to the one whose grace, whose power, has been sufficient in suffering. He's calling us to return back to that empowering presence of our sanctification. But then, verse 5, he kind of goes to the other extreme of things. It's not so much about suffering as it is seeing God's power come through. So verse 5, Paul not only appeals to God's power in suffering, but his power in doing the miraculous. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Once again, the interesting thing about that question is that it's present tense. 
while you could look back to the book of Acts and read about all the specific instances of the miraculous that took place as Paul originally went to all these different cities in Galatia. People are healed, demons are cast out, signs and wonders are, are performed. Incredible things take place through Paul's ministry, but the emphasis here that Paul is making is that the Spirit wasn't just miraculous at one time, but he's presently being supplied and presently doing miracles among them. Which is to say, from Paul's standpoint, this is nothing but the normal expectation of the Christian life. It's perhaps another kind of uh, American thing where our minds have been conditioned to not expect such things from God. Even if we go to the doctor to find healing for illness, we rarely still accredit that healing to God through the physician. Well, I went and did this, and I did that, and I did this, and no thanks is brought to God. You just short-circuited the process, right? For from him and through him and to him are all things. If you found healing through the hand of a physician, you found healing through the hand of God. But where has that physician learned what he has learned? Where does the life, breath, and all things that that physician has, where does it come from? It's creator. If it's a grace that comes from a physician, it's a grace that comes through the hand of God himself. And so we have to recognize that this is but the normal expectation of the Christian life. That there are going to be the miraculous happening among us. Miraculous things happening, healings taking place, demons being delivered, but most of all, salvation being worked in the hearts of people. Their eyes will miraculously be opened to the crucified Christ that Paul has spoken of early. There is going to be an empowering presence at play within the church that is just kind of normal. What is impossible with man will be actively being made possible by the Spirit. It's just the expectation of the Christian life. He's a big God, isn't he? He's the big Jesus. He's all, all comprehensive one. He's the worthy of it all one. But how does this happen? And this is to Paul's point. How, how do these miracles come? Well, they certainly come by the agency of the Spirit, but is there anything else involved? And he is quite focused on that. Does this happen? Do these things happen? The miraculous things happen by the works of the law, by just doing cold religious things, or by hearing with faith? Paul's point, it's a rhetorical question. No. These things, these miraculous things, these incredible things that are happening in the midst of the church family are not happening because, well, we just got together and did some religious things, and, and, and it's not happening because we're actively living by our flesh. They happen because of hearing with faith. A simple faith in a big Jesus can bring heaven to earth in extraordinary ways. A simple faith in a big Jesus can bring heaven to earth in extraordinary ways. 
Now, we've, we've discussed biblical faith in the past. Um, faith has reason. It's centered on someone. There's logic. We, we, faith doesn't arise out of this mindlessness. It, 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 faith arises from truth. It arises from a true person who has a name, who has a nature, who has a conduct. He has a certain character. Faith begins by knowing who this big Jesus is is, but of course then faith requires action. There's a stepping out, there's a risk that takes place, even as we did a little outreach on, on Friday night, rain came, confused things and all that. You know, you, you, you feel the tensions in the moment of all that is happening, but faith has to take action. It's gotta do something. We believe that Jesus is a big God. We believe that there are more people that he wants to bring into his family. We know that the gospel's gotta get out. We know that there's need out there. We know there's darkness that the light needs to shine into. It demands action. I gotta believe in the big God that he is. Okay, Lord. As you lead, I'm stepping out then. As your spirit leads, we obey. We take the risk. Yeah, and we might be persecuted. We might, you know, the people taking pictures of us or videos of us from a distance. You don't know if that's because they're happy about it or just throwing you on TikTok to make fun of you. But isn't he worthy of it all? So you take those steps of faith, and so you have reason. Here's who my big Jesus is. He's worthy of this step of faith as he's leading me into it by his spirit. And then experience happens. What he promised becomes fulfilled. Things start to happen. The gospel goes, are we responsible ultimately for what happens? No, we're just responsible to hear with faith. All right, I'm, I'm stepping out, trusting, and you're leading and what you're gonna do. And God brings in the harvest. He makes things happen. But if you're living by the flesh, you ain't going to be hearing with faith. You may be doing things, you may be running around, you know, feeling all wonderful, religious about yourself, right? self-righteous as you might be in those moments. And we're all susceptible to that. But that doesn't produce the empowering presence of the Spirit. God loves when his people submit to him, surrender to him in faith, and just say, all right, Jesus, you're a big Jesus, I'm gonna step out, I hope you catch me, right? And he does, he can use that, he can inhabit that. A surrendered soul is a soul that he is pleased to inhabit. And oh, does he work his grace in beautiful ways. So the point then to all of this is, do we have a big Jesus or not? I would dare say, as Paul is saying, it's utter foolishness to resort to anything else. To simply stand in our own wisdom, which Paul is saying uh, is but foolishness. The fool has said in his heart, there is no If you go back to that psalm that states that, it is a heart that yearns for eyes to be opened to see God. It is not some self-righteous, oh, I stand over you, you don't get it yet, come on, man. We don't get it because we were wise, remember? We didn't get it because, oh, we, got it. we had it all together. I didn't get it because I grew up in a Christian home. 
In fact, there's, there's more trials and difficulties growing up in a Christian home that you can be tempted away from Jesus with than had you not been in a Christian home. Right? It's all those things. We are his not because, oh yeah, we figured it out. We're his because by his spirit, he opens our eyes to the glories of this big Jesus and says, hang on to this empowering presence. Remain in that posture of surrender and faith to him, giving all you are to all that he is. Let's not resort to anything less. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, how we need... <laughs> How we need your spirit's help to keep us from just drifting into the activity of our flesh. Our wants and desires, our aspirations, our dreams. <laughs> even, even spending a few days in Ocean City this past week getting some rest. I feel my flesh just yearning for comforts, yearning for a nice house on a beach. Wouldn't that be awesome? And there in those moments, I'm entertaining the flesh in ways that actually resist the completing work of God in my life. And so the spirit is so kind to just say, Dan, <laughs> bring those to the altar. Surrender your wants and dreams. And it's so worth it because God is never just calling us to surrender things without, once again, giving all that he is. He is life and life in abundance. He is the satisfaction of the soul. So, Lord, we pray to that end that by your spirit, you would help us even this week to remain in a posture of surrender, to not be given to a small Jesus that we can just kind of attach to our life as we want him to be. Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see the glory, the worth, the beauty of all that Christ is. And, Lord, we do pray for your empowering presence at work in our midst for healing, for miracles. We refuse to make you anything less than you are. What is impossible with us is made possible with you. So let's take a little time as we close. with some of the trials and stuff that we're going through, could we take a step of faith even now to just cry out to the Lord to do the impossible for us? So here's, here's what I'm going to do. I don't, we, we can pass around this mic. How about that? 
And, and this is the, you may like, I feel uncomfortable talking in front of people. Well, this is your opportunity to take a little risk and step out in faith. Um, you don't have to have perfect words when you pray. You don't have to have perfect theology when you pray. God knows who he is. You don't have to tell him who he is. Right? He's not in some identity crisis where, can you tell me who I am? You don't have to have perfect theology. Perfect theology is, is good, but you don't have to have it when you pray. So don't worry about that. Let's just bring our burdens before the Lord, the one who is worthy of it all. And who says, yeah, it's my normal thing to do the impossible through my people. Maybe that's a physical ailment. Maybe that's a psychological uh, difficulty. Uh, maybe that's a financial struggle right now. Maybe it's a, someone who you feel like is away from the Lord right now. Um, yeah, let's, let's just be faithful to bring these things before his throne of grace. And Millie, can I ask that you begin praying for Alex? Father, we just come before you this afternoon and we stand in the gap for my brother Alexis who's been incarcerated for 33 years. Lord, in a situation that seems hopeless, there is still hope beyond the scope of human limitation. So Father, we just ask that a spiritual intervention, a miracle, be performed on my brother's behalf, Lord, and that his anguish and his anxiety and his depression and his natural sense of being so overwhelmed at this time somehow by the spirit of the living God receive peace, that peace that pastors talking about this morning, the peace that surpasses all understanding to guide his heart and his mind through Christ Jesus. Lord, help him remember that he is an image bearer, that he that is within him is greater than he that is in the world. Help him remember that he's the head and not the tail, that he's the first and not the last, that he's above and not beneath. Help him remember that he's blessed in the city and he's blessed in the field. Help him remember that he is your child and that above you there is no other. God, just like you were the God for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are the God of Alexis Rodriguez. So, Lord, we thank you that even now you're sending ministering angels and people and counselors and pastors and chaplains and advocates to his side to lift his arms up and say, you are not going to give in or give up. But you understand that there is a God who is going to make a way when there seems to be no way. So Yahweh, we ask for a miracle. We're depending on you because there is no other God that is before us. Jesus we ask that your blood perform 
something so miraculous <laughs> that even when even the news circles will hear about it. Just like when he was incarcerated in 1989, it was on every news channel and it was the breaking news of the hour. Let the breaking news of the hour be that he is miraculously set free. Lord, we are depending on you. We love you. And we know and understand that you are still the God of hope. The God that gives us hope beyond our own human limitation. So come, God. Come now, almighty King, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for us, for being here today. Um, I don't know if you know all my prayers and everyone that I always bring to you, but especially this morning I'm bringing... Alexis, to you, Lord. Um, that you place your hand on her, oh. on her mental health. That you help her along with her struggles of being a young mom, taking care of my granddaughter. That she's be able to um, take care of herself, Lord. Give her, clear her mind so that she put priorities in order, that she could be able to get the help that she needs. I know she can't do this by herself, but that she could get the help that she needs in order to be able to be healed to a point of being okay with herself, to be able to be okay with what surrounds around her. I thank you, Jesus, because I know that um, that you will honor this. In your name I pray. Father, I thank you this morning for, um, for, some own, for some of my own physical hearing and healing, Lord, the fact that, um, Lord, so often um, I don't praise you, so I thank you for that, Lord. I praise you for that. Lord, I thank you and praise you for some family celebrations this week, Lord. But also ask, Lord, that you help us as a family, Lord, that you wouldn't um, help me to be the leader who would instill in my family that they wouldn't put confidence in the flesh. They wouldn't look so much to reason, look so much to even success in life, but instead look to you as the author and the finisher and the faith, and their faith, the one who will... Um, Ultimately, the one that will get them free, Lord. Help them to more to lean on to you as their Lord and Savior and not on the world and the things of the world which are passing away quickly. So, Lord, I just ask you to bless us in that way, Lord. Um, help us, Lord, even if it's, um, even if it's through some tr trials or tribulations, Lord. Help us to lean on you and lean on Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for 
your incredible presence and for all that you are and all that you allow me to be in this lifetime. Even this week when I was facing just a lot of struggles and difficulties and just trying to make sense of everything that was going on, I was constantly reminded that I'm not alone, that you are always with me, and that I could get through no matter what it was as long as I continued to believe in you and stand firm in my faith in you. So today I ask you, Father God, I come to you with my whole heart on behalf of my husband. Those who don't know him know that he's a wonderful, amazing individual, and he is struggling right now from a mental capacity. And so I ask you, God, only you know what he's going through, and only you know what his ultimate end will be. And so I pray, Father God, with all that is within me, Lord Jesus, that you continue to walk within him, continue to strengthen him, and bring him back into the path in which he was before all of these things started happening. I know that his destiny is way greater than what he is living now. And so because I know that, none of that is possible without you. And so I ask that you continue to walk with him, Lord, and continue to strengthen him no matter what he is struggling with right now, Lord Jesus, that every time he grabs that Bible, that every word that he reads holds true in his heart, that it be of you, with you, and through you, everything that he reads, that the spirit of confusion and chaos that is trying to re and rel up in him, Lord Jesus, be completely diminished in your glorified name because we know, Lord Jesus, that far greater you are and the enemy has no say and no stand when it comes to you, Jesus. And so I stand firm in that, Father God. I believe in that and I ask that you strengthen us, strengthen him as an individual, us as a family, our, in our marriage, in our parenthood, and everything that we do. I pray for this church, Heavenly Father. I pray for our pastors, and I pray for our mission as a church and as a body, Father God. In your heavenly and glorified name, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Abba, we thank you for that you hear us. We thank you that you know us. We thank you that you're in our midst even this morning. And we bring Ariana to your throne this morning, that you would heal her scoliosis, that you would allow her spine to align in Jesus' name, Bless that you would allow there to no be need for surgery, that you would free her from the pain, free her from the unknown, free her from the from undergoing just a, a surgery that uh, is invasive. So we pray in Jesus' name for her spine to be healed, for her spine to align. And Lord, we pray for her even as she's going to camp this Wednesday, that you would save her soul, that you would do a work in her heart. Thank you for Romeo Minnelli giving love and care and support to her. And I pray that you would bless them, yeah. that you would give them wisdom and direction and discernment to know how to parent and raise these girls. Lord, thank you for their heart to serve. Thank you for their heart to, to love on them. So, Lord, we give Ariana to you, and we pray that you would heal her 
and that you would save her and that you would just let her be a living testimony for your grace and your glory. And we pray for Jabari that you would do the impossible and let us keep him, <laughs> that you would give us a voice, that you'd help us to advocate for him, that we would know how to advocate for him. that you would protect his little body with these visits coming up. <laughs> that he has no idea where he's going. <laughs> but that you would care for his soul and give us wisdom to know how to talk him through it. And we do plead the impossible that we would have the opportunity to adopt him and that he can be a Jabari Burkholz like he keeps on talking about. So, Jesus, we plead that you would go before us and that you would protect him and that you would help us to know how to advocate for him well. Jesus, he's yours, and we know that you love him more than we do. And we pray that you would place him where he's supposed to be and that we'd be good with it, <laughs> but that we'd be able to know how to advocate for his best. So Jesus, protect his soul, save his soul, help him to be a little walking testimony as well. For your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. Are not my nail scars enough? Are not my wounds on my back enough? Is not the blood that came down my brow enough? Was not the pain on my shoulders enough? For you to understand that my blood has been enough. Was not my sweat enough stinging in my eyes? For you to understand that what your suffering is and what your anguish is and what your mental capacity is and what your setback is is nothing compared to what I carried for you. Therefore, it is no longer yours but mine, saith the Spirit. Yes. Oh. 
For it is not your pain to inherit, for it is already erased and healed and blotted out by my blood. So I say to you this morning, do not inherit the sins of your past nor your future. For your sins have been forgiven by the justification, by the redemption, by the blood that was shed for you on my cross that I bared for you. So do not carry your cross no more. But throw it on the altar. The altar of your faith. The altar of your love for me and my love for you. It is a sweet exchange, saith God. And with that sweet exchange today, I arm you. Hey. I armor you to fight. And I armor you to win. Because what you have been fighting has already been won, saith the Spirit. So I challenge you this afternoon to surrender. Surrender your wrestling to me. And although after we wrestle, you may walk with a limp, I will still be your God in the wrestling. And although in the fight, you may be battle scarred, I am the God who carried your scar. You are my warrior, and you are not the defeated one. You are the loved one, sealed by my kiss, saith the Spirit of our Lord. Yes, yes, I'm don't want to interrupt how that is falling upon your hearts. But for those perhaps even online who uh, say, well, what was that? That was interesting. Um, We honor the gifts of the Spirit. We love our Jesus for all the gifts he's given to us. That he would give us the gift of tongues, that he would give us the gift of prophecy, and prophecy is to be, to be weighed. We don't put that on the same level as scripture itself, but we receive it, let it stir our faith towards Jesus. So we honor that word this morning. I also just wanna, before transitioning to a song, um, 
Lord, we need to thank you uh, for the healing work that you've done in Carol. Lord, we, we love the truth that cancer has to bow its knee to you. It has to bow its knee to you. Even though we have lost many to cancer, it's going to bow its knee. It's going to bow its knee. It's going to bow its knee to King Jesus. Your blood is too great. Your blood heals. It renews. It restores. It redeems. And one day, all things will be made new. Cancer as it is will bow its knee to King Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for many who have gone on before us to your presence because of cancer. <laughs> the cancer that they suffered from will bow the knee to you. But we thank you for Carol's situation, that, God, you've worked a miracle through the hands of physicians. You've, you've worked per your purposes through science itself. We thank you that science glorifies you. It glorifies your power. It glorifies your might to see cancer eradicated from the body. And so we honor you, King Jesus, <laughs> that you would do such a work in our dear sister Carol's life. Lord, thank you for the strength that you gave her to endure all that chemo, radiations, all those treatments. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the strength that you gave her. Thank you now for the testimony that all traces are gone. It's because of you. We thank you, God. We honor you. That's a, that, that's a, a word of praise that, as we've said before, doesn't have an expiration date. You just get the glory, and you keep on getting the glory. It keeps on testifying to your goodness. So we thank you for it. Jesus' name.
this is um, one of my favorites, and uh, I just felt like the Lord was um, leading me to share this. this is Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. Where two or more gather in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Um, what we prayed for this morning, the prayers that were prayed, uh, we can be confident that they are prayers that are heard and being answered. Um, he guarantees that in his word. He says he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So what we prayed for this morning, uh, I believe firmly in my heart that we can expect those victories and we can thank Jesus for them and have faith and give him the praise for testimonies to come from these things for you. So Pat is just asking for prayer for healing uh, of all the kind of chest pains and situations that he's had. So Lord, in Jesus' name, together we just come to you in faith that you are the great healer. And Lord, I, I pray that, uh, Lord, that you would heal Pat's heart, uh, even the esophagus problems from a while back. Lord, I pray that you would grant him something of strength back to him. Um, Lord, that he could continue to serve you in the ways that he delights in. And so, Lord, we pray for your healing touch upon him, your power to come over him. And, Lord, for healing to be brought, even where the, the, the physicians aren't too sure of uh, what is going on. Lord, they, they don't have the answer. You do. So we come to you, ask for your healing touch upon Pat. In Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we also pray for issues of anxiety and, and fearfulness. Um, Lord, even as that was part of my warfare this past week, we take your word, your God-breathed word, Philippians 4, and you call us to rejoice and to rejoice, for you are at hand. <laughs> you are at hand. And as the God who is at hand... You guard our hearts and minds with the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we bring our anxieties, the tensions of our own hearts, and lay them down before you. Say, Lord, have it. Have it. We give you our minds. We give you our hearts. And say, Lord, guard it. Guard it. Fortify our minds and hearts. Where the enemy would want to give us wrong thoughts, where he would want to give us fearful thoughts, 
Lord, establish your providential hand over us. Remind us of the truth of who you are. Guard our hearts and minds with that peace that passes all understanding. Lord, and we look forward to the weeks to come to hear the testimonies of prayers being answered. So that we might have reason to rejoice and rejoice. In these moments, we feel the anxieties, but uh, Lord, you'll, you'll, you'll take these fears and you'll translate them into rejoicing. So God, would you show yourself, show your empowering presence to us. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. If you want to remain in this kind of place of worship, feel free to do that. I know the kids probably need to be let loose if they haven't already. Uh, so we'll go ahead and dismiss grace and peace to all of you guys. It's been good to be together.